Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. This is Benjamin, yours truly. In this episode, we're speaking to a doctor, PhD, member of the American Red Cross Scientific Advisory Council. He's Professor Emeritus as a developmental aquatic kinesiologist at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. He is a recognized authority in the areas of aquatic and lifespan motor development. He's earned his degrees from SUNY Cortland Purdue University and the University of Wisconsin-Madison. No question whatsoever, an illustrious career. And he is generously sharing his knowledge with us about water safety for you and your family. Coupled with what has been said, he's a very nice gentleman. Let's invite him to our show, Dr. Stephen J. Langendofer. Of course, uh, swimming is a, an enjoyable sport, and it's a great source of exercise. And uh, However, you know, uh, when, we, when we talk about water safety, there's a set of rules that we have to consider. And, and I am happy to have the doctor uh, on my show today to where he'll share some of these set of rules. Uh, before we, we dive in and get into our subject matter, can you share a little bit about yourself, uh, doctor, and for the sake of my audience? Sure, I'd be glad to uh, very much. And uh, again, I'm uh, thrilled to be uh, be on your show, Benjamin. Uh, thank you for the uh, the kind invitation. Um, I um, I grew up in in Western New York in an area called um, the Finger Lakes, mm. and um, it has pretty much shaped my entire life, I guess, because uh, I came from a large uh, German Irish uh, family. And mm -hmm. I think every one of my siblings and I absolutely love the water. Mm -hmm. And we have ever since uh, we were little. And um, after I uh, was in college, uh, both in high school and college, I, you know, I did the requisite uh, uh, swim team uh, kinds of things. And I never really understood what I wanted to do um, until it became apparent that I kept getting drawn back to, uh, to the water. So um, mm -hmm. I call myself a developmental um, aquatic kinesiologist. And kinesiologist. That's, that's a real, <laughs> okay. a real uh, crazy term for um, somebody who's interested in how kids, kids and adults learn to swim. Yeah, and yeah. Um, as well as how we, uh, Hope that swimming helps them uh, prevent drowning. There you go. Great. Can you see how that's, that's a study of body movement? I, I, I that is correct. Yep. Yeah. And in my case, I, I prefer, or, you know, my strong focus is on body movement in the water itself. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so to underscore the importance of our discussion, Doctor, could you share some uh, some numbers, some statistics uh, as to this topic that we're talking about as in relation sure. to children. Um, well, um, I'll, I'll go uh, large sure. scale first. There you um, go. Every, every year in the world, there's about a third of a million people who drown. Mm. Um, 
80% of them tend to be in uh, what we call the middle um, or low income countries, hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, uh, like Europe and the United States, which are considered high income countries. Um, but regardless, there are two age groups that are are particularly susceptible to drowning. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first age group is the one that I've spent most of my time uh, focused on over my career. And that are that is the, the one to five-year-old uh, group. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, in other words, uh, infant, toddler, preschoolers. Yes. And, and the other group are, believe it or not, 14 to 24-year-old males hmm. and and um and again the we're not quite sure why that category has the highest uh, uh, such a high level of of drowning other than um it's uh, uh probably associated with high risk kinds of behaviors yeah uh, i have i have a colleague who's who once said nothing good ever happens after the statement Hey, watch this. Um, and I think, I think, and I think right. probably between 15 and 24 year olds, uh, males tend to engage mm -hmm. in, uh, hey, watch this kinds of behaviors, mm -hmm. exactly. maybe more than other people. Yeah, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, obviously, between one and five years of age, mm -hmm. uh, these are, are children who are just acquiring. Uh, motor skills, competency in, in, in motor skills, and therefore um, they, they also, um, because of their limited development, not only aren't they uh, quite as competent in and around the water, but they also do not appreciate the risk that's associated with, uh, with water. Um, water is a terrific, um, a terrific environment. Uh, particularly young kids just love it, whether they're in the bathtub or oh, at the yeah. beach or in a pool. Um, and that's part of the problem is because it's so attractive, it also is an attractive nuisance uh, that we have to uh, be con uh, concerned about. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, you mentioned uh, swimming pools, a beach, and of course there's pond and, and lakes. How do they all compare when uh, in, in drowning incidents? Yeah, um, and, and that's interesting. That's a really good question. And it's really complicated mm. uh, because um, I like to say that drowning is dynamic. And, and that's, a, that's kind of a bad dynamic. Um, and that is that, uh, that every aquatic environment differs in terms of the um, attractive parts of it as well as the risks. Mm. Um, in in uh, a high-income country like uh, in the United States, um, uh, backyard pools tend to be um, a, a relatively high point of where young children, like one to five-year-olds, um, mm. tend to get in trouble uh, to uh, potentially drown. But I, I guess what I would uh, I would caution people to understand that any person is susceptible to drowning. Um, I feel like because of my uh, expertise in my career, uh, you know, I, I swim at least two miles every day. Um, oh, wow. even, even someone like myself 
is susceptible to drowning um, under certain um, conditions. So mm -hmm. anyone can drown. And each of these, um, as you mentioned, the home pools, um, hot tubs, ponds, mm -hmm. lakes, beaches. Um, I would add to that list uh, in, in, in homes, um, we have almost every home has a built-in swimming pool. It's known as a bathtub. Uh, that is <laughs> yeah. a risky that's, place that's, to go. That's, that's um, toilets for very young children. Um, um, toilets yeah. can be um, dangerous, as can things like large buckets uh, of mm. water. And um, and certainly, if you uh, you know if you're thinking about home pools, uh, we have the the classic in-ground pool, but uh, a lot of people, probably more people, have the above-ground pools that are either three or four feet high. Um, and we also have these uh, these nice um, inflatable uh, pools. Uh, in fact, one of my grandsons has one um, mm -hmm. that uh, they got him uh, during the heat wave here a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And they all carry a certain degree of risk. Um, and so, as I said, the one to four year olds tend to get in trouble in um, in, in the in the household area, mm -hmm. either in the backyard or in the bathtub if someone's not watching them. Yeah. Um, in places like um, open water, like ponds or lakes or beaches, mm -hmm. uh, that's an area where uh, probably um, uh, older children and particularly that 15 to 24 year old uh, age group um, have more things that they can uh, can do and, it, and risks that they can uh, that's true. Get to. So, yeah. uh, so you have to, that's, and that's what makes this so complicated is that you really have to um, kind of consider what are the various risks associated with each of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, we said 14 to, through 24, because there's a lot of testosterone going on there too, you know, so oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, a, lot, a lot of risky behavior. Um, but what are the signs of drowning, uh, doctor, and, and, and uh, how quickly can this occur? Oh, um, that and that's the kind of the scary thing. Drowning mm -hmm. can happen easily within within less than a minute. Oh, um, uh, the yeah. the critical area, particularly if someone's going to survive, tends to be between one and six minutes, and mm. at about six minutes of of uh, lack of oxygen. Um, uh, we start getting brain uh, damage and, yes. and uh, you know, the likelihood of, of surviving uh, decreases. But mm -hmm. um, we have, unfortunately, we have what I would call a, a Hollywood uh, vision of what drowning looks like. And it's mm -hmm. uh, somebody in the water who is uh, got their both arms up in the air, waving them around and they're yelling, help, help, help. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that's the farthest thing from the truth. The okay. most drownings are um, what uh, a colleague of mine, Frank Pia, called uh, mm -hmm. instinctive drowning response. And this is somebody who um, is their, their um good portion of their head is submerged under the water. Sometimes in my experience, the only thing you really see are their, are their eyes. They're using fairly feeble uh, movement. They're, they tend to be vertical in the water, 
most of them is submerged underneath. You can't see what's happening with their arms or their legs, but their arms are actually uh, trying to push straight down to try to move them up in the air, but they mm. tend not to be able to get their mouth out of the water to get a breath. Mm. Uh, so uh, what we say is that most drownings are absolutely silent. Um, in fact, in every situation where I've had to make a rescue um, in, in my career, um, usually someone else has said, hey, look at them. Or I've turned around and I see, you know, the eyes above the water that are, are kind of bugging out. And, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of gives me the, uh, uh oh, I better get a, uh, a hand on them right away. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So a person can struggle near the surface for a while. Again, they're not going to very, very infrequently, are they going to be able to make any noise because they, they, they can't get high enough up to actually get their, um, their mouth out. Um, sometimes you get um, a little kids who kind of tip over uh, in the water. So, and, and they may lay more horizontal in the water, but again, their face isn't out. Um, they, uh, they can actually, when they're laying flat, it looks like maybe they're, they're swimming. There's a thing called a swimming reflex that um, several month old, babies do, but the, it's not a functional uh, behavior. They, they can't get a breath. So that's, mm. this is not uh, going to save them. Right. Um, so, um, it, you know, the, the key is the person is struggling. Um, they're, they're not making any progress in the water. It's, you know, with a little bit of experience, you can see that person is, you, you may have somebody who's, who's flailing with their arms, um, as they're doing a stroke, but it's very clear that a person who's in danger of drowning uh, looks very different. Most of the mm -hmm. time, their their arms aren't out, aren't out of the water, and only a portion of the head may be out, and they're not mm -hmm. making any progress. They're, it's mm -hmm. like they're you know straight up and down in the water. Probably mm -hmm. their legs, even though you can't see it, their legs are being ineffective in terms of of keeping mm -hmm. them up. Yeah. You know, um, let me relate this to you. Uh, years ago, I uh, I asked myself, oh, I wonder if I can make it across that lake. It wasn't a, a, a huge lake. Uh, in fact, it was a, there was an island in the middle. So I think I can get over there. So here I go swimming. And, um, and about halfway, I really got exhausted. Instinctively, what I did, I turned around on my back and just floated to, to recoup. Then I turned around and, and proceeded, you know. But is that the is that because of exhaustion? Is that why they? Uh, is yeah, that why gets the best of them? Okay, right. It and probably means that you you weren't having a, a particularly effective or efficient um, breath control. But fortunately uh. for you, you did the one thing that is that most people. For, for whatever reason, don't do. And that mm. is stop, stop struggling, roll over on your back and float. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and in fact, um, this is something um, that's being promoted worldwide relative to cold water. Um, mm. If you find yourself in water that's really uh, cold, that um, 
you know, anything under 50 degrees Fahrenheit is really chilly. It, it actually mm. makes your, or at least for me, it makes my legs hurt. It's so cold. Um, yeah. One of the things that uh, we know from research is the worst thing you can do is um, immediately try to swim and uh, get out of the cold water. The best thing you can do is actually do exactly what you did, and that mm. is to float first. Roll mm -hmm. over, float on your back. Um, if you happen to have clothes on, for example, you've fallen in or whatever, um, clothes are actually terrific. Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, they're going to pull <laughs> me down. Yeah. Usually clothes have water, have air trapped inside of them. And, yeah. and you can actually tuck your chin down and get inside your shirt, for example, and blow some air in. And you've all of a sudden got yourself a um, a wonderful uh, life jacket uh, just yeah. because it, it'll hold the air inside. But go. yeah, that your, your story is one that, you know, the negative parts of it are you tried to get out to that Island probably <laughs> without a, a safety boat or anybody else around. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, the good news, the reason we're here talking yes. and, um, is that um, you had the wherewithal to stop and float first and get your, um, you know, get your energy back and then proceed. And, exactly. and that's one of the skills that we are particularly focusing on uh, in, in the American Red Cross. And I know other programs do as well mm -hmm. is, you know, take your time, roll <laughs> on your back. Um, you know, this is not an Olympic race. This <laughs> is a race to save your life. So get on your back and float. There you go. Very good. So what is the number one cause of drowning? Well, that, that's, remember I said that you'd ask, you know, potentially you had a number of, uh, of excellent questions. This is one of them. And it's not an easy uh, question okay. because, right. again, this is where I say uh, drowning is dynamic. Mm. Um, drowning really is an interaction between characteristics of a, per a person of what activities they're trying to do in the water and the specific kind of aquatic environment. So those three things interact. If a person um, has a lot of body fat, they are actually in better uh, shape because the body fat will acts as sort of a life jacket, will, will more likely hold them up. Um, so there are, I guess the, the simple answer to your question is there isn't any one cause of drowning. In fact, if there was one cause, you know, major cause of drowning, um, we would have, we would hopefully have figured out what it is and then done something to address it. The problem yes. is drowning is very, very complicated, has all sorts of, of different causes. We have to consider, well, who's uh, who's drowning? As we said earlier, uh, a toddler drowning is probably um, a very different situation than the 15 to 24 year old uh, drowning. Yeah, They're probably in two different environments and they have the activities leading up to what got them in trouble uh, are probably different. We also have to consider the, the when and the where. Um, mm. The when, you know, during the summer, the water is a lot warmer, um, in, at least in most of 
where I live here in the northern part of the U.S. Um, and it's, uh, in fact, uh, the statistics are fairly um, specific that uh, a vast majority of the drownings in the U.S. happen between May and August, mm. uh, when most okay. people are sure. going to go around, go in the water. Um, and then the where, of course, we talked about earlier, uh, in a home pool, it's a different kind of cause. Somebody may have just fallen in by walking uh, around the pool um, versus at the beach where uh, if there are some waves, the way may, waves may have toppled them over. Um, yeah. So uh, that's, I guess the message is that unfortunately, drowning comes in all sorts of, of <laughs> shapes and sizes and, yeah. and problems. Yeah. And so there's a set of circumstances that comes into play there, obviously. Right. So, you know, this may sound a little paradoxical, but can you speak to dry or secondary drowning and its yes. uh, symptoms, please? Yes. Um, sure. Um, well, believe it or not, um, there's no such thing. <laughs> As, as dry okay. or secondary drowning. Now, right. uh, in preparation for our talk today, I actually yeah. um, Googled uh, drowning, okay. uh, causes of drowning, definition of drowning. And the very, uh, the second thing that popped up mm. was um, a, uh, a website that said, oh, this is really dangerous. Uh, dry drowning, secondary drowning, um, all, they, they listed five different kinds of drowning, um, none mm. of which exist, mm. uh, or at least they're a, they're a made up phenomenon and, and, and urban myth, if you will. Okay. Um, so here's, here's the, um, what they, the world's experts in drowning have gotten together and, and they said, okay, for, for medical purposes and for all mm -hmm. of our discussion, there's only three kinds of drowning. There's mm. fatal drowning. That's where somebody dies as sure. a result of it. Um, there is non-fatal drowning mm. uh, with, with accompanied by injury and illness. In other words, they were perhaps sub, uh, submerged enough um, yes. that there has been some uh, permanent damage. Yes. And then finally, uh, the, the, the best kind of category of drowning is called non-fatal without any injury or illness or seculi. Mm -hmm. In other mm -hmm. words, you wouldn't know that the person had, um, had drowned. So the only, um, the, the definition, the, both the medical one and the definition created by the World Conference on Drowning Prevention is that uh, drowning is a process of experiencing respiratory impairment mm -hmm. due to submersion or immersion in a liquid. And the liquid, of course, almost always is water. Um, and um, so the, this idea of a, of a dry drowning, that is um, that somebody's been in the water and they apparently, the notion is they've, they've uh, uh, aspirated a whole bunch of water and six hours later, they go home and they they dry they die dry. Okay, mm. it doesn't exist. Mm. It is possible to to aspirate water, but just like aspirating anything, like food um, or other drinks or whatever, yeah. uh, there's there's an automatic 
coughing spasm that happens. So okay. it's very clear when somebody has has gotten some water in their uh, in their lungs, and they're not going to die from that. Um, sure. the, okay. the same thing with uh, with secondary drowning uh, that they. Um, we're at the pool, they got water in their lungs, and they came home and, um, and suddenly there was, you know, an emergency. These things just, uh, it's like any urban myth. They, okay. they take on a life of their own, but they just don't exist. Yes, it's not the truest sense of drowning at all. And, okay, right. well, I appreciate that. Let me ask you, uh, doctor, were there uh, an increase of uh, drowning incidents during the pandemic here since everybody was at home? Unfortunately, yes, there were, uh, particularly last summer. Um, Mm. It was a combination of the fact that um, many um, or or, or practically all uh, swimming instructions ceased during the pandemic, we, mm. we weren't allowed to, you know, offer swimming. Um, exactly. A lot of yeah. pools closed. So, you know, obviously um, drowning due to, um, you know, to public pools uh, was practically non-existent. But mm. people, because people like the water and they like to, you know, swim, um, people therefore were um, seeking other alternatives at beaches and lakes and places mm-hmm. where they may not have been nearly as safe, where there aren't lifeguards, um, mm-hmm. or where there's no protection and those kinds of things. So, um, so yeah, we did ra- um, experience uh, an increase in drowning yeah, uh, during 2020. Yeah, very unfortunate. Uh... having a very informative visit with a true scholar in his field, and there are many takeaways about water safety in this episode. Let's get back with Dr. Stephen J. Langendofer. So we've been talking about um, uh, what can happen and so forth, but uh, when we consider prevention, could you speak to uh, some layers of protection, including perhaps even technology, if any? Sure. Um, yeah, that's the technology is kind of a bright spot in mm. this uh, whole area of drowning prevention because um, more and more, um, you know, because of of our technological uh, innovations, um, we have the uh, the potential for um, being able to use technology. For example. Um, mm-hmm alarms are becoming more and more sophisticated. So you can actually put an alarm in your, um, or in the vicinity of your home pool, for example, um, in in which anytime uh, someone enters um, the pool, if there's a splashing going on uh, or anything like that, it detects that motion and Mm. will sound an alarm. Uh, The the problem, of course, with all technology is people figure out how to uh, circumvent it. Um, but uh, and, and um, the, the problem with pool alarms is that after the third or fourth um, uh, neighborhood squirrel has gone in the pool <laughs> and sounded the alarm, then the owner turns it off. And then, yeah. of course, it's yeah. of no use. 
Um, I was visiting a friend in, in Florida a, a couple months ago and was very impressed because he has a, he has a home pool and he also has alarms on all of his doors. And there's okay. an announcement anytime the door opens mm. that someone has entered or someone has opened the door. And uh, it serves as a, a real nice reminder, uh, particularly when he has uh, guests, uh, uh, children particularly, that, um, hey, someone has left the house, better go, ch uh, go check the pool. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are um, also uh, things like these, uh, you know, video doorbells, the, the ring ones. They're mm -hmm. also are um, doing those, uh, you know, cameras and stuff in the in the pool area so they can recognize if someone else is uh, is there. But the, the, the actual um, thing that's that's really important to understand is um, particularly in the home environment, you want to create what we call layers of protection um, or multiple barriers. Um, so for example, if you have an alarm on the pool, if you have an alarm and a, a child-proof lock on the, on the doors, you also should have a four-sided fence that has um, self-locking uh, gates so okay. that uh, and ones where they're up high enough so that a child can't um, can't reach them um, mm. and um, in, in, in actually in the area of injury prevention just as a sidelight here we talk mm. about um, kinds of prevention one is active one is passive so the the uh, when we talked about technology technology can be a, a very uh, useful kind of passive prevention because you don't need um, the the active intervention of a person. Mm. But some of our most important ways of, of preventing drowning are actually active prevention. And that's where um, some, uh, if you have children as well as uh, any kind of body of water nearby, you have to actively be supervising and know mm. where the children uh, go. Mm. And, and so when we say these barriers, uh, these multiple barriers, it's actually important to have both active and passive uh, barriers. So you, mm. the passive barriers are the fence, the alarms on the door, the, the locks, um, the alarms in the pool. But um, having a buddy always uh, teaching kids that they can't go near the water, for example, without a buddy or mm -hmm. more importantly, probably without a mom or dad or an adult um, are these are active. Uh, the other thing that's that's this is coming out of research that uh, mm -hmm. a number of people are doing in the state of Washington, uh, the importance of life jackets. Now, mm -hmm. we've known life jackets are important. They're required on all all boats. Sure. But what they're learning in, in uh, Washington state is that every young child, if you're inexperienced or if you're a boater, you should always have on a life jacket. Mm -hmm. So whether you're on a boat or you're near the water or you're in the water. And if that in the in the cases where they've been able to legislate that in Washington state, the number of drownings has uh, has dropped precipitously.
about that. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of partly of changing our perspective that yeah. Yeah. we can't um, we can't just think of life jackets as when you're on the, on the boat or the fact that the unfortunately the legislation says we've got to have life jackets on the boat, but so far they're not required that you wear them. And this, mm -hmm. this harkens me back to when we first had seat belts in cars yes. back in the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. We weren't required to wear them. The cars had to have them. But mm. now what's evolved, and we're hoping that this will evolve with the life jackets, you've got to wear them. They don't do any good packed on the side, uh, mm. you know, off to the side because accidents, uh, as I, I tell my uh, my students, uh, I do some canoeing instruction um, mm -hmm. and, and a, a mock instruction says, oh, oh, wait, wait, I'm about to fall in the water. Let me put on my life jacket, <laughs> or, um, which of yeah. course is ludicrous. And yes, of course, the, yeah, exactly. the students all laugh, but I'm going, that's why you have to wear your life jacket all the time. Oh, but mm -hmm. I don't like to, it's hot or it's mm -hmm. cumbersome. Uh, the, the cool thing is we now have um, inflatable life jackets. So they, they weigh practically nothing. And uh, there's different types. One type is uh, as soon as you hit the water, the thing inflates. Um, that's not very good for kayaking where you get Probably splashed. <laughs> Yeah, but right. if you if you're just in a recreational, you know, on a pontoon boat or something, those they weigh practically nothing. Um, they've been demonstrated in New Zealand to be extremely um, popular with um, what are called rock fishers. Those are mm. people that um, go fishing off the the rocks in the ocean, where all of a sudden a rogue wave will carry them in. Um, yeah. So even if they don't do anything, those things will inflate. <laughs> Um, okay. well, so, uh, to, so life jacks is another thing that is really yeah. critical. I'll have to look into that one because I, I, I go deep sea fish, fishing sometimes, and uh, sometimes the water is so rough. They say, well, we'll give you a voucher, you know, come back next uh, next week or whatever. You know? right. But the thing is, anything can happen when you're out there. And, uh, it, Absolutely. Uh, and I've known uh, a good friend of mine, uh, she... Uh, she fell overboard because of the uh, boat coming by and the, the wake of that boat was so strong that uh, she fell over uh, on the boat that she was in. And, uh, and it, it, you know, anything can happen. Like you said, you don't anticipate those things. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why you want to have on, you want a life jacket on in yeah, yeah. all situations. Um, exactly. yeah. uh, I get made fun of it uh, in the wilderness camping we do <laughs> because I forget to take my life jacket off and I'm walking around camp and we're building building the <laughs> campfire and I still have it on. So at least if there's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if I, I fall in, I don't have yeah. to worry. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, Lord. Hey, let me ask you this, uh, doctor. What, what sure. you know, of course, the beaches out here in California have opened up, you know, and uh, yeah. what advice would you give someone if they're caught up in a rip current? Oh, yeah. Um, rip currents are in um, particularly um, on the coasts. Yes. Uh, one other thing for those of us <laughs> who live inland, particularly uh, like I do near the Great Lakes, there are rip currents in the Great Lakes as well. Mm. Um, all it takes is a fairly steady wind coming from a direction. And yeah. so what's happening is water is being pushed. It, it's obvious to see it 
you know, the yeah. surf coming in in the in the ocean. The same thing happens um, in the uh, in all five of the Great Lakes. And mm. so when when the wind kicks up and it pushes uh, the water towards the beach, well, when it pushes it up there, the water has to go someplace. And instead of just pushing it up and then coming directly back out, what happens is it finds it finds a small um, channel or someplace and it, it just becomes a current. And that's mm -hmm. what, a, what a rip current is. So the water's pushing in towards land and suddenly the water all gets channeled back into um, what, what's called a rip. So mm -hmm. uh, rips, particularly in the ocean, but surprisingly here in the Great Lakes as well. Um, what you need to do is, is um, taking us back to your example before, You've got to keep your head about you. And the first thing you should do is roll on your back and float. <clears throat> now, what? while you're doing that, of course, it's going to be pulling you farther away from shore. Yes. Yes, um, but what you need to yeah. do is instead yeah. of, I mean, even the strongest swimmers mm. um, can't, th these rip currents are so strong that, um, <laughs> you know, Caleb Dressel, for example, ain't gonna be able to swim against a rip current. So the logical thing is to swim parallel to shore because the rip current is, is going in a circle. And what you wanna do is go perpendicular to that current. And suddenly you'll, you'll realize that it's not pulling you out anymore and then you can get to shore. But the first thing is really roll on your back, catch your breath, Maybe at that time, you know, while you're floating on your back, you can be, if you're swimming in the right place with a, where there's a lifeguard, you can wave your hand while you're floating, get their attention so that they can come help. Um, but once you've caught your breath, then you swim parallel to it. Uh, in, in some cases, um, probably more likely the, the Great Lakes where you're not gonna go miles out into the water. Um, right. If you simply float on your back, what's going to happen is the rip current is going to take you around in a big circle and bring you back into the beach. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to just lay there and let that happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Why, why we recommend <clears throat> that you swim parallel. Um, yeah, parallel yeah. to the beach until you get out of that current. Yeah, typically um, those uh, currents are what maybe uh, what 50, 100 feet wide. Uh, just to get an idea. Yeah, just about that. And yes. in fact, um, one of the one of the deadly parts of them are when mm -hmm. when you've got a, a day when there's quite a bit of rough surf. Yes. The places where there's no surf look like, oh, good, I'm going to go in here because I'm not going to get knocked down by a wave. Well, the reason there's no waves there is that's where the rip is coming, is pulling you out. <laughs> and and so losing. <laughs> it really, it suckers uh, you right into yeah, that. Yeah, it does. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. So um, <clears throat> anyway, the, the best thing to do is be able to recognize a rip. If yep. you always yeah. swim at a lifeguarded beach, they will have flags up and they will identify. Uh, well, they, they won't let people in the water if there's a bunch of rips going on that day, but they'll also identify where they are. 
And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's the best prevention is not get caught in a rip. There you um, go. <laughs> but you it's not everybody that can identify them. It's better. Yeah, you, you almost have to be up on a on a drone looking down and you can see where the yeah. where the rips are going. Exactly. But if you swim parallel uh, to shore, uh, yeah. you know, perpendicular to the rip, um, that's your your best thing, uh, yeah, along sure. with roll on your back, you know. Yeah. Control the panic. Don't uh, uh, don't fight it. And uh, while you're on your back, again, you know, wave your arms and get uh, lifeguards' attention uh, is, mm-hmm. is the other uh, activity that you should I do. See. So let's say uh, I know you've uh, participated in uh, helping those out there. They're struggling. Uh, so what do you do if the adult <clears throat> grabs onto you and, and uh, there you are to rescue, but he's pulling you down. What do you do oh, in a situation yeah. like that? Well, um, hopefully you um, you can get away from them and um, and and kind of talk some sense into them, try to get them to float. Mm. But um, I I would pose a different uh, situation. Too okay. too often, the reason that somebody gets pulled down by s- someone else. Um, is because that the the second person who's getting pulled down has gone in to try to rescue someone. Yes. And one of the things, one of our new little slogans is um, uh, if if someone is in trouble in the water, you try to reach something out to them like Mm. a rope or a towel or a long stick. Or you try to throw um, something that floats like a a ring buoy, Mm -hmm. even a a cooler chest uh, will float, something Mm -hmm. that they can grab onto. So Mm -hmm. our slogan is reach or throw, don't go. Mm. So, and I know that seems for most people, that seems kind of heartless. Instead of going and having two people drown, you should be on your phone calling for help. Um, if, yeah. if there somebody's out in the water, uh, you know, a, a ways where you can't reach or throw. Mm-hmm. But I, I also, you know, I'll, I'll pose the the question to the kind of the rhetorical question to you: Where is somebody going to be who's drowning? Are they going to be out in the middle? You know hundreds of yards out? No, because if they got out there, unless they're a a situation like like yours where they just got exhausted, most drownings happen within several meters of a pier or shore or where somebody has walked out and stepped off a drop-off or whatever. So most of the time, reaching and throwing will actually be the best alternative rather mm-hmm. than running in or jumping in or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah. Even and the other thing that we train lifeguards to do, they never go in to rescue somebody unless they're trained and they're carrying um, a rescue equipment, a thing sure. called a rescue tube, for example, mm-hmm. or something that will float because the new rescue techniques, which are much more um, uh, effective 
than the old ones where you go out and you do battle with somebody in the water and yeah, turn yeah. them around and drag, you know, cross right, chest yeah. carry and stuff. Yes, no, no, yeah. no. The thing to do is take something out that floats so you both can hold on to it because what will cause the person to stop panicking, which is really why somebody's pulling them. They're not really pulling them under the water. They're trying to climb up on somebody exactly. because they're trying to get some air. So yes. If you take something that floats, you'll be perfectly fine because once the person has a hold of it, they can breathe and they don't feel like they're sinking, everything's gonna be much better. So reach or throw, don't go is, uh, go. is one of the slogans that we're, we're really, really focusing on. Very good, that's a great point, Duncan, uh, really good point. So at what age, let's uh, say, <clears throat> talk about children you know parents uh, should consider swimming lessons at what age for their child well um i'll, I'll give you a couple perspectives my right. my own experience was uh my dad was at uh, camp lejeune uh, in mm -hmm. north carolina mm -hmm. um he was called up as a reserve for the korean war and uh, we regularly went out to the offshore islands in north carolina and that's where i got my first um introduction to the water was the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, my mom tells stories about me uh, uh, waking up as, in the back seat as soon as I smelled the salt water and I would just <laughs> run headlong into the into the waves. So um, how, instead of a specific age, I think there's a behavior that works best mm. for guiding you. I think swimming lessons, um, at least kind of simple play-based swimming lessons can um, can be effective once the child can walk on their own relatively independently you know so you know and it takes it takes anywhere between six and six and eight months for a kid to go from a couple of steps and then fall down so once they're fairly competent in walking they're probably competent to begin learning how to do that same kind of motion in the, um, um, in the water. So um, even the American Academy of Pediatrics has, has really over the years, they've kind of evolved there. They used to say, oh, absolutely no swimming lessons before four years of age. And then they said, well, maybe at three or four. And now they're realizing because the research has shown that drowning drops off for people who have had swim lessons that even as young as one year of age, um, a, and these are not the same kind of swimming lessons you'd get at age five or six. I mean, these are, if, if, if you think about how somebody learns to walk, you know, they yeah. have to creep sure. and crawl and then they can toddle, then they can sure. walk. Well, sure. the acquisition of swimming is exactly the same way. Yeah. They're, they're not gonna be very um, skilled for a couple of years, but right. you can introduce them. The second yeah. point that I, uh, I'd like to emphasize is that, and I mentioned this earlier in terms of a, a risky environment, Almost everybody has a bathing a bathtub in their house. Yes. The bathtub is the best way to introduce your yeah. kid okay. um, to the water. The water depth is only you know two, three, four inches. They can learn rudimentary breath control. The fact mm. that oh look, I like I can splash. Uh, this water sort of holds me up. 
The only caveat that I have is that the bathtub, when it's got water in it, has to have a lifeguard. Mm. In other words, no, no kid should be left ever be left alone in the tub. If they right. fall and conk their head or right. whatever happens, you need, you know, some adult, what we call in the Red Cross, we call it a water watcher. Um, mm. And in a backyard pool or someone whose main job is to be there until the water's drained out. So mm. I, I really do think um, the bathtub starting at, I don't know, <clears throat> just a couple of months of age up mm. through a couple of years <clears throat> is absolutely the best way to introduce mm -hmm. to the water in the safest way, as long as mom or dad are sitting there while this is happening. That's interesting. You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, in fact, I, <clears throat> there is where I might have uh, learned to swim a little bit, you know, at, at two years old. Because um, I never I never did take any swimming lessons, official swimming lessons, right. uh, only by observation. And uh, I got pretty good at it. In fact, I even competed in high school, you know. So, yeah. you, you, you know, as long as you expose the child and you're there, uh, he'll know, he'll pick up on things, you know. And uh, sure. that's, a, that's a good deal. Before I let you go, uh, Doctor, uh, what uh, on the online for the American Red Cross uh, in relation to this topic is there for folks to, to look at and, and learn from? Sure. There? Well, the, the, the Red Cross, as well as other agencies like the YMCA, I got to give them some equal time and stuff as well. Oh, yes. um, yeah. I think this over the last few years, one of the the major innovations that's happening are these online resources that are available um, by the um, uh, aquatic agencies like the Red Cross. So mm -hmm. um, there, there are some online courses that you can take. One is called Water Safety for Parents and Caregivers. All right. um, there's another, uh, and it's a free online course that anybody can take, um, Becoming a Water Safety Ambassador uh, mm. another free course. And then um, some courses that have some fees associated with them. Uh, every parent um, ought to have first aid and CPR um, just as a, a safety measure. Um, the um, There's a brand new, one of the kind of um, sad things uh, because of the, you know, the pandemic, but it yes. gave, because pools and lessons were closed last year, we put mm -hmm. a lot of time into uh, revamping what's called the Red Cross Swim app. And you can get it in your, um, in your online store and download for free. It's mm -hmm. been all updated. It's, it's absolutely terrific. It's got, um, it, it probably, if you listen to it, you'll probably go, oh, it sounds just like this podcast because we've covered, um, you know, all of the things about prevention and water sure. safety yeah. and learning well, to swim um, are all yeah. on there. They also yeah. feature uh, things for kids. So mm. the kids can take little online quizzes. The parents can take online quizzes and talk about it. Um, I guess the, the bottom line is um, with all of these uh, Oh, and, and I would be remiss without mentioning the water watcher that I did before. You can mm -hmm. get a water watcher information and a do-it-yourself card that you can put on a, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
on a strap that you can hang around your neck. And then whoever's the water watcher has to be wearing this if you have a pool party. But the the websites are uh, redcross.org. So that's all one word, Mm redcross.org. Or you can call the um, the 800 number. It's um, 800-RED and CROSS. Um, is another way to be able to make uh, take advantage of literally dozens of yeah. um, of water safety things there that um, have uh, have really been and, and they've been working on them all through the pandemic. We couldn't do mm-hmm. anything else, so we, um, <laughs> I guess uh, we were able to do oh, a lot great. of uh, oh, that's, online that's, stuff. It's a wonderful service. I would assume also you can get certified, right? CPR. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. first aid and, and CPR courses are yeah. um, certified. A lot of, a number of the Red Cross courses now are what we call hybrid courses. Mm. So you do a lot of the work online and then you go to a face-to-face um, uh, situation see. where um, where you actually can demonstrate that you know how to do bandaging, how to do rescue breathing um, mm-hmm. and CPR. Uh, and they they hold these in remote uh, uh, sites where every person has their very own mannequin and they're mm-hmm. separated from other people so mm-hmm. that there's no uh, danger of transmitting the um, the virus. So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of uh, neat stuff. Again, a, a redcross.org will give yeah. you access to a lot of this information. Well, that's great. That's really great. Doctor, you really shared some wonderful points uh, to keep our family safe. And uh, my goodness, uh, I think uh, uh, I think it's something to really, to, it can never be overly emphasized, water safety. So uh, safety. I want to thank you for being on your lot and parcel show, doctor. And, uh, and I wish you the best in everything you do. All well, right? thank you very much. I, I absolutely enjoyed myself and uh, you're Likewise. very welcome. I'm uh, glad to share it with everybody. Uh, as you can tell, I'm not really interested in this at all. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and I, so, and I love uh, your Benjamin, sense of again, it was wonderful to meet you. And uh, thank you for your um, invitation. Very good. You enjoy the rest of your day, doctor. All right. Thank you, Benjamin. For your listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at your lot and parcel. And now, if you would excuse me. This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtown. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.